The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at uh, Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth. I left uh, Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubula sends greeting to you, as do Prudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So there, if you're looking again for kids' names, you got Claudia, which is a good option. Um, but others, I don't, I'm not so sure. Um, we've covered a lot of ground in the book of 2 Timothy. We've spent several weeks, a couple months, uh, in this wonderful letter from a, from a, a seasoned pastor uh, an old pastor who knows that he is about to be killed for, for his faith, for proclaiming the gospel. And he's writing to his young protege, this young pastor. He's attempting to pass the baton of ministry, and he's encouraging it. And to sum it all up, we could say that there's, this, there's no relationship more essential and more transformational than that with Jesus Christ. And that Jesus would die for sinners on the cross for us is the best news ever. And we're able, we are to guard this gospel, to guard this good news, to persist in it, to never forsake it, to never compromise this message, to never waver from it. But with our eyes set on Jesus, we are to endure in the gospel and to follow Christ who will one day bring us into his unbroken eternal presence. And this closing is meant to have this impact on on, on all of us. It's meant for all of us to hear what he would say. It's meant for all of us to know something very important about relationships in the church. Friends are important and never more important than in tough times. Paul realizes this. He's about to die. He realizes the importance of relationships, of friendships, of those, of those loyal, devoted friends who will stick with you no matter what. And especially in the most painful of circumstances, you need friends the most. And it's here we should remember, and if we don't remember, if you don't remember anything else today in this sermon, I want you to remember one thing, and I want you to write it down, and if you have your journals, if you have your smartphone, I want you to take note of this, because the wording is very careful careful and intentional, and I don't want you to miss it. Are you ready? Here it is. Relationships in the church can be difficult. Now, I'll leave the slide up there just for a minute so that you get the whole gist of it, the whole sentence. You write it down. You can understand that relationships in the church can be difficult. If you are an aspiring pastor, ministry 
is relationally difficult. If you're an elder or a deacon, ministry is relationally difficult. If you're a team leader or a volunteer and you serve at Holy Cross in in any capacity at all, you should know that ministry is relationally difficult. If you are in a life group or a life group leader and you're connected in community in that way where we want people to get to know each other and and to live life together, you should know that, that ministry is relationally difficult. If you're just in this room and, and, and nothing else, uh, ministry at, at its very least is community with others, Christian ministry together will be relationally difficult. But the good thing is that this passage is not all bitter. It's actually overwhelmingly sweet. And it's just this reminder that Paul shows us that even though relationships and ministry and, and life together can be very relationally difficult and painful, Jesus is a faithful devoted, life-giving, never-abandoning friend. And so Paul mentions nine people in his closing paragraphs. And let's first look at these things. Let's look at the kinds of relationships that we will have in the church. And then I want to talk about the pitfalls that some of us fall into, the errors that we might fall into because of difficult relationships in the church. And then lastly, I want to talk about the hope of relationships. In Christ. And so first, let's look at some of these various relationships in the church. The first kind of friend that we see is a, is a faithful friend. This is Timothy, of course, and it's also, it's also others in this paragraph. Uh, first, we look at the, the great friends that Paul has. They were great sources of joy for him and comfort. Paul had some, some really terrific friends along the way, some very faithful friends that, that were partners in ministry for him through all his trials and imprisonments and even impending execution. Paul had some really great people in his life, ones that expressed hospitality to him, ones that expressed uh, care from afar, ones that, that, that he even sent away on, on mission and ministry elsewhere that, that were hesitant to leave him because they desired to be with him so much. And those that desired to come back to him, he had some really great friends in his life. Their departures were painful at times, but they were filled with Paul's blessing as he knew that they were on their way to do God's work. And then there's, there's Luke, as he mentions, a, a faithful friend who remained with Paul. He says, no, one, no one's with me except Luke. Everyone has left me. And Paul says to Timothy, please come to me quickly because Luke alone is with me. And it's kind of funny when you think about it. It's, 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 he's not saying, the only one here is Luke, please come quick. I only one here is Luke. Help me, help me. Luke is, I'm stuck with Luke. But he's not saying that. He's saying Luke was a tough friend in tough times. It's so great to have friends like this, isn't it? It's so great. Do you have friends like that? I hope you do. Do you have friends? It's so great to have friends like that that will stand up for you, will stick with you in times of trouble, uh, that will um, defend you when you are uh, mocked or betrayed or belittled or, um, or, or mimicked or whatever. They see you at, their, at your worst, and they still love you in spite of, of what they know about you. They know you more than, better than anyone, and those, and those people are still your friends. Isn't it great to have people like that? We all want that and need that in our life, and we actually need to be that to other people as well. And Paul had that. He had it in a few people, and it, it was so comforting to him. I hope you have friends like that. It's important to see that these kinds of relationships are possible. I want to encourage you... If you desire that, it's not, it's not just wishful thinking that you can have friends like that. It's possible. Paul had it, and biblically, it's something that we should 
desire and work for. And Luke stands in opposition to another kind of friend, and that's the painful friend. And, and Paul talks about this with Timothy, that even in the midst of great friendship uh, with Luke, there are, there are people like Demas, the painful friend. Demas with, while some relationships will be sources of joy, others will be sources of pain and discouragement. And Paul says uh, this of Demas, that with the love of the world, in love, in love with the present world, he has deserted me. And this word deserted is very violent. It's very, it's not casual. It's not that. Where where Demas go? Is that in Paul's worst times, Demas, he caved. He abandoned Paul out of a, a love for the world instead of a love for God. He had been a faithful friend, and this is the important thing to realize. He was a faithful friend. He was with Paul. He was an encourager and a comforter, but there was something in his life that when push came to shove, something caused him to call it quits, to throw in the towel, and to move to Thessalonica. Whatever was there, we don't know. Paul says just a little earlier in his letter that uh, the love of God is far greater than any other love. Anything else... And, and, and the love of God is great that even if it costs you your very life, it's good and it's something that we need to, we need to have. All, all Christians, all followers of Jesus need to love God above the love of money, the love of self, the love of pleasure. And Demas says, thanks, but I'm going in a different direction. You're telling me to love God above all things, but it's just too hard for me. Most people will leave relationships and friendships in the, in the church and, and elsewhere, really, for this reason above any other reason. Some, some move away uh, from the fellowship of God's people uh, because they've relocated for a job. Some will become uh, sick and need to be closer to better care or a network of, 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 uh, of um, family and doctors. Some are deployed for, for military assignment. But most will leave as a result of a, not a deep love for Jesus. Most Christians, as they leave the community of God's people, don't, they don't leave because they love Jesus so much that it brings them somewhere else. Most will leave because of a deep love for their own interests and the comfort of their own pleasure and the comfort in the world. It's easier. It's, it avoids conflict. It requires less commitment. It, re- it requires less confrontation in um, difficult situations. It makes us feel better. Paul says that's a, that's a love for the world and the love for the world's desires and pleasures. And I can tell you, in, in, after more than 13 years now of full-time ministry, the greatest pain in relationship is not f- from those on the outside. It's not from opposing people and, and critics. It's not from the world. It's, it's not from enemies. It's from within the church of, of Jesus-loving and disciples of Christ who begin to love their own pleasures greater th- than their love for God. They begin to give in to their own temptations they begin uh, to desire the worldly comforts above the, the pain that comes from loving Jesus. Instead of persisting in the gospel and guarding the gospel and suffering for the gospel, no matter what might come. And so there are painful friends like this. But there is encouragement because not all relationships are like that. And not all of Paul's relationships were like that. And he moves on to another friend. Thankfully, he talks about the restored friend. And this is the story of Mark. And Paul says, 
get Mark and bring him with me. He's, he's useful to me for ministry. Mark's story is so encouraging if you don't know it. For anyone who has been hurt, for anyone who has betrayed, if you have been hurt by a friend or if you have hurt a friend, this story of Mark is for you. You see, in the book of Acts, Paul, on per, Paul's uh, first missionary journey, Mark went with Paul on his missionary journey, and something happened. Something happened. There was a disagreement. There was a conflict. There was a pain. There was a hurt of some kind. And for some reason, Mark left Paul. He left him uh, and went home. And later, a disciple named Barnabas would come with Paul on another missionary journey, and he said, I want to bring, I want to bring Mark with me. And, and Silas was with them. So it was Paul and Mark and Barnabas and Silas. And, and Barnabas says, I want, I want Mark with us. And Paul says, no. You take Mark and you go. I'll take Silas and we'll go. And they went different directions. Paul didn't trust Mark. He didn't trust him as a friend. He didn't trust him in ministry. And they two, the two pairs of people, they, 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 parted, uh, they parted ways. Paul viewed Mark as a painful friend. Now, about 20 years later, we see a friendship restored. Mark is restored. Mark is not only useful to Paul as a comforter and for ministry, but, but Mark would be used by God in such a significant way to write the gospel according to Mark. Mark would write a, a, an account of the life of Christ that we would read today. And we see that as one being a painful friend, that Mark is restored in relationship with Paul and is now a restored friend and a great comforter. Here's the great news for those who have been hurt or for those who have done the hurting in relationships. Are you ready? Here's the good news. People can let you down, and you can still be friends with them. I know, <laughs> right? It's so shocking. People can let you down and hurt you, and you can still be friends. You have permission to do that. It's actually true. It's possible. I'm not lying to you. This isn't telling stories. It's not just a real thing in the movies and in the storybooks. You can be hurt and still love that person. I know it sounds strange and you don't believe it, but it's actually a real thing. People can make mistakes and still be your friend. There's no rule that says if you are hurt, then that friend is no longer a friend. There is no rule that says that if you hurt others, you can never be forgiven. Spouses will fail you and you can still be their friend. Pastors can let you down and they can still be trusted and loved. Your friends can insult you purposely or accidentally and, and they could still be sources of rich encouragement in your life. It's possible. Believe it. And your past failures or the, the past failures or even current failures of people in your life who have offended you do not need to be the final word. Please believe that. The main point here is that it's possible to be let down and to let down others and still have a loving, meaningful friendship. Please pursue that. Please want that. Please know that it's true. Please know that you can be deeply wounded, and that isn't the final word. Mark and Paul would go on to form an incredibly meaningful friendship after going separate ways. 
We're going to talk a lot more about that, but here's the last kind of relationship in the church that we might encounter, and that's the faithless opponent. We see here Alexander the coppersmith, not to be confused with Alexander the blacksmith or the... I think it's important because Alexander was such a a, a faithless opponent that Paul would not want Timothy to misunderstand or or, um, misidentify him. It's a dangerous guy, a man who, who strongly opposed Paul and opposed the gospel, and it's likely that Alexander uh, is responsible for uh, leading up to Paul's imprisonment, which would lead to his uh, death. Paul says, be careful of him. God will judge him for opposing the message of the gospel. The Christian life is so relationally hard, and sometimes it's hard because friends wound us and hurt us, but it's also hard because people will, if you love Jesus and follow him, people will oppose you. They will seek to harm you. They will seek to inflict pain on you. They will seek to trouble you in your effort. They'll want to make life hard for you. And it's not only in the church, but it can happen outside the church as well. And so these relationships are shared, right? These four relationships, the faithful friend, the the painful friend, the restored friend, and the the faithless opponent. All of these relationships are ones that we will find in the family of God. You might even have these four people in your own family. And these relationships are shared by Paul because Paul is reflecting on a a lifelong uh, ministry experience and relationships within the church. And it's so crucial that Timothy will, should know what to expect and to know that these relationships will exist. If you desire to follow Jesus, you're going to have all of these kinds of relationships. To prepare for them, to expect them, and to trust in Jesus in the midst of those relationships as they pop up. Whether it's a faithful friend or a painful friend, Paul wants Timothy to know, be ready. But trust in Jesus. Have you been hurt by a friend? If you're breathing, you have. Have you been hurt by a friend? Have you experienced the firsthand the difficulty of relationships as a Christian? Yes. Can I just get a... Good. Okay. Here are the pitfalls that, some of, that we will fall into. I just want to give two pitfalls that we fall into in relationships when it comes to this because we have been hurt, because we have encountered friendships like this in all different ways. And so we, we cope with this in different ways. And by doing so, we fall into a couple different kind of pitfalls. And here's what they are. Obviously, there can be hundreds of kinds of pitfalls uh, for, and thousands of errors that we fall into and succumb to in relationships. But let me just give you two categories. One category is that we think of Relationship. We think too much of relationships. We think too much of relationships. Consider your hopes and your desires just for a second. If you have children, think of your hopes for your kids. All I want for my children is to be healthy and to have good friends. That's what I want. What a tragic reality if they have that and not Jesus. Because no amount of friend, no amount of relationship can do for us what verse 18 does for Paul or for your, for your children. He says this, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. No friendship, no good friend. It doesn't matter who you have or how many you have. No friend can do that, what Jesus needs to do for you or for your kids. Paul says, Jesus, your faithful friend who will rescue me from every evil deed of of mine and and other evil deeds against me, you'll bring me safely into your kingdom. You'll bring me into your holy presence 
for you alone are qualified to take my sins, to take my pain. Your friends can't take you to heaven. Your friends cannot shield you from evil. Your friends cannot preserve your faith. It's true, they can't. Thank God that your friends, what they can do is they can encourage you from a, from a multitude of sins and prevent you from a multitude of sins and dangers, but they cannot save you. Now think about yourself. What is the top, what's top on your list when you think about what comes to finding a church or finding a community, uh, a faithful community? Close community, close friendships, relationships, authenticity, integrity, honesty, forgiving and friendly people. That's at the top of my list of what I want in a church is just friends. I want, I want to live life with others. If you feel that Holy Cross embodies these things, which I'm, I'm glad and I'm hopeful for, and, and many of you have said that, that you, you love the relationships that you have found, those great friendships, if, if you believe that Holy Cross embodies that kind of community that you're looking for, then here's my, my advice to you. Give it six months. And you're thinking, six months? I realized that after three, that that wasn't true. You'll find the weakness in our armor. You will find the weakness in our community. You'll find the weakness in our, in our friendship. And you'll see that, we are, that, that there's painful friends in the church. If you're searching for the community of friends that are not painful and do not fail you, then bring a snack because that journey will be very long. Bring an extra pair of socks. Bring whatever you need because you will be looking for a very long time. This may be the reason that you find yourself at a different church every year, every two years. Or you threaten in your mind and in your heart in the midst of pain from friendship, you threaten in your heart to, to leave that community and, where, and to go to another community where you will be better loved, better taken care of, better, better uh, enjoyed, where you can better relate to others and, and identify and find belonging with people. You get hurt and offended and misunderstood, and so you're going to find a community that understands you and loves you for who you are, hoping that that new group of friends will never fail you, never hurt you, never offend you. This attitude may, may be a pitfall for you. This attitude may be a pitfall for many of you. Like it was for this man, uh, Roger Williams, it was a, I want to tell you the story of an early American uh, Puritan settler whose name was Roger Williams. And, and he was a founder and first governor of a town called Providence, Rhode Island. You've heard of it? Well, it's because of, it's because of Roger Williams. In the mid-1600s, he had a hard time finding community, finding the church. He was a Puritan, he, and the Puritans desired to purify the, the Church of England. So they came to America in a desire to be a, a, a light uh, on a hill, a city on a hill, a, a lamp to the world, a light to the world, really to the Church of England. They said, we're going to go, and we're going to make it better, and we're going to establish this real rich ripe community of believers, and the Church of England will learn from us, and they'll be purified because of our example. That's why they were called the Puritans. And in pursuit of this, he moved from London to Boston, and he got upset with some things that were going on in the church there at Boston, and so he moved from Boston to Plymouth. You've heard of Plymouth to join John Winthrop, and he said, I've heard things about Plymouth and what's going on there, and, and maybe that's where it'll be. That's where I'll find the real great community of Christians, and a lot was happening there. It sounded like really great. It was the new thing to do. Everybody was, everybody was a pilgrim for Halloween, you know, it was, it was the hot new outfit. Things got sour in, in Plymouth, and so he moved to Salem, Massachusetts, and it didn't take him long to realize, okay, Salem's messed up too. 
And so he moved from Salem to, to settle outside of the Massachusetts boundaries in, in, no, in unoccupied land, right? And that's where he would call it providence. God has provided for me a place to establish and to belong and to have rich gospel Christian community. And it is here where I will be finally a part of the pure church. And he established there and it would become part of the colony of Rhode Island. And this new colony would bring the answer to his longing for the perfect church. And he would eventually die at a very old age, finally having a thousand of his best friends around him at his death. That's actually not how it ended. But that's how we want it, we want it, we want it to end like that. We want to hear that there's a true story to our pursuit to finding the perfect community. Trusted and loyal friends. And maybe you're like Roger Williams, like, finally, I'm going to find it. And you're on this pursuit. It's actually not how it ends. And in fact, it ends uh, like, like we hope it wouldn't. We want it to end like that. We spend our whole life searching for the perfect Christian community. And he didn't find it. He would actually be pushed out of Providence by his own community that he established. And he concluded that the only way to find true community, ironically, is to separate it from it completely. And he died in 1683 alone and poor. Okay, so anyway, there's <laughs> temptation in many of us to be on that same pursuit to make friendship with others the chief source of our joy and our security and in this world and only to find disappointment from one friend to the next. And we say, isn't there anyone who can be a true friend to me? You may, you may enjoy the love of your friendships, but they are never and can never be your everything. If you want to be unhappy for the rest of your life, then put your hope for belonging in sinful and broken people. That's the recipe. Some of you hear this and say, yes, I knew it. I knew it. Friends will hurt you, and that's why I don't have any. And, and finally, the, the, see, the, I've wanted to say that quote my whole life. As an introvert, I've wanted to say that my whole life. You're gonna be unha- if you want to be unhappy, then trust people. Seriously. If you want to be miserable, then, then have friends. My wife says, no, you say that out loud. You don't just, no. So some of you say this, all you need is Jesus. And I've been saying that my whole life. All you need is Jesus. There's no sense in getting close to people because people will hurt you. Reindeer are better than people, right? Sven, don't you think that's true? Yeah, people will beat you and curse you and cheat you. Everyone is bad except you. Yes? Don't be like Kristoff, Okay? you know, burned by the world. Don't lock yourself in a, in a frozen castle. Don't be like Anna, who trusts the first man who is nice to her. Olaf. Olaf is the hero of this story, okay? Yes, the trusted, loyal friend puts his life on the line to just be there for his friends who need him, okay? Now, it's, if you're feeling that way, you're saying, I knew it, I knew it all along, that you just need Jesus and people are a waste of time then you fall into the second pitfall and you need to hear this. It's possible that you think too little of relationships. 
Closeness to Jesus will never replace your need for friendship. It will never replace or remove your need for others in your life. That is what is so practical about this ending of Paul's message, that Jesus never intended that your enjoyment of his friendship, of friendship with Jesus, would be a substitute for your enjoyment with relationship with other people. Jesus never asks us anywhere, not even close, to choose, to make a choice between friendship with him or friendship with others. Instead, he tells us to let this relationship with Jesus to inform our relationship with others. You do need friendship. It is not good to be alone. You are hardwired. No matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert or socially awkward, you are hardwired for relationship and community with God's people. It is not good to be alone. And it is in the midst of this relationship with God's people that we are sharpened to be more and more like Jesus. Yes, it is also where we are deeply wounded. That's true. It is the context for where we are hurt. It is the context where no one can hurt us as hard and as bad as our very community that we seek to get life from. It's that community. It's this community. No one will hurt you as bad as Holy Cross. But there is no place where you be sharpened more than at Holy Cross. This isn't an accident. It is the crucible for change. The gospel community, the church of Jesus, the body of Christ is the crucible for change. It's a furnace that, that is painful and, and fiery. But it, but it changes us. It transforms us in that community. And no, you cannot do it just with Jesus. But there is hope for relationships. This is such good news because of the faithfulness of the friendship of Jesus. And this is where Paul closes his letter where he talks about the hope for our relationship. What is our hope for relationship? If the dominant motivation for your friendship with others is the hope that this new friendship and this new relationship will be the answer for your longing for a community, then you will never find it. You will go from church to church to church to community to community, and eventually you'll say, maybe it's not in the church. Maybe the church is the problem. Maybe it's in my secular relationships because they like me a lot better. And that's really what happens. You'll be on endless pursuit filled with great disappointment. And imagine Paul's temptation, because it's your temptation, it's mine. Imagine Paul's temptation. Everyone is leaving me in my deepest need. Everyone's leading, everyone's deserted me. I'm alone in my most troubling time in my life. And I'm, knowing I'm going to be killed in like less than a week. I'm going to be killed and no one cares and no one's here. Do you think that Paul was tempted to say, Jesus, do you care? All my friends have left me. Maybe you've left me too. I mean, what gives? I thought you loved me. I thought you were my friend. I thought that you cared for me. Why is everyone leaving me? Maybe everything that you've said isn't true. Maybe this isn't worth it. Because if you loved me, then you would not bring this pain to me. You would not allow my friends to hurt me and betray me and to, to wound me like this. You would not let me get close to people and to open up my heart and then give that person a hammer and let them crush my heart. Maybe that's what you do to me, Jesus. Maybe you want me to come close to you just so that you can hurt me. We'll forget it. If the wounds of a friend 
cause you to abandon Jesus, then you have, you have abandoned the only person who cares for you completely. Don't do that. If a friend causes you to doubt the friendship of Jesus, don't do that. That's actually the only one who truly cares for you like a real friend would. Do not let the pain from others confuse you regarding the friendship of Christ that he offers to you. And it is here where Paul quotes in Psalm 22 in his closing here. He says, you saved me from the lion's mouth. It's a euphemism for death. Paul is saying, you saved me. Jesus, you died on the cross and you saved me from spiritual death. Separation from God and you gave me promise of life. You gave me the promise of life. Paul is saying, I'm about to be physically dead, but you have saved me from the real, the real fear, the real lion's mouth. You've saved me from death, from spiritual death, from condemnation. From, you have saved me from being alienated from God forever. And what is so special about Psalm 22? This is overlooked if you don't dig deeper. It's so amazing. Paul quotes Psalm 22 in describing what God has done for him. And Jesus quotes Psalm 22 also describing what God has done to him. Psalm 22, verse 1 to 2, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest Where are you? Do you see what is happening here? Paul is saying, Jesus, you cried out for friendship with God in your greatest time of need, and he turned his back on you so that by taking my sin on the cross, you would never turn your back on me. You were forsaken so that I would never be forsaken. Your prayers were unanswered so that I could cry out to you and you would hear me. You found no rest so that I could find heavenly, eternal rest. Do you see what is happening as Paul is realizing? He is saying, Jesus, you gave up friendship with God so that I could have friendship with you. And you did that by dying on the cross, taking my burden and taking my sin. Is that a good friend? There is no better. We can answer this question now that we know more about the Bible and about the life of Christ and about those words of Scripture that we have with us and the letters of Paul, the words of God. We can answer this question. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We could answer it with verse 18 in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. To rescue those, God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you not my friend? To rescue those who are mine from every evil deed and to bring them safely into my heavenly kingdom. That's why I've forsaken you, Jesus. To extend friendship to sinners. Do you know the friendship of Jesus like that? That it wasn't just this really fortunate thing that Jesus did, that he died on the cross for you, that he took your sin. It's not just this really great thing. And so if it works for you, then that's awesome. Do you realize this friendship and what it cost, the friendship that you have with Jesus and what it cost him? Cost him 
the wrath of his only love, his only father, his only relationship. When we are convinced that Jesus' friendship with us, convinced that it fuels our friendships, that it strengthens us when we are hurting, that it comforts us when we are lonely, and it gives hope to us when we are betrayed by those whom we thought loved us, and it gives us a portrait of what kind of friend to be to others. When we do this, so many wonderful things will result in our friendship with others. When we realize that the friendship of Jesus, when we find belonging in that relationship, that he forsake all that he had to be our friend, and we let that friendship form us, tremendous things will happen. Here's a few One, his friendship, the friendship with Jesus Christ becomes the heartbeat of our friendships with others. I have a friend in Jesus, Paul says. I have a friend in Jesus, and through this friendship, I I long for my friendship with you, Timothy. Do you see that? So he doesn't say, all I have and all I need is Jesus. So Timothy, I mean, come or don't come, that's okay. He says, I long, my friendship with Jesus is so great, so perfect. Timothy, please hurry. He says it twice. Please come quick. I long for a relationship with you. He wants Timothy. He desires friendship. When we have a real friendship with Jesus, it will not make us want to move away from others. It will make us want to know others deeply. We will desire relationship with them, but a different kind. It won't be like, I really need your friendship because I need to feel better about myself and to feel important. But we will need that. We will desire that relationship so strong because the friendship that we have in Jesus is so transformational, so beautiful, so life-giving. And we want that life to be lived out with others. His longing for Jesus doesn't replace his longing for others, but it directs it and it fills it with joy. Jesus did not die to create isolated worshipers. He died to create the church. He brought to, has brought together people who worship Jesus with one voice and one joy. By all means, Pursue deep and lasting friendships with others. Pursue it. Put your life on the line for it. But do so because Jesus has done that for you, that he has given his life for you. Don't do it to find who you are. Do it because of what Jesus has done for you. The second thing it will do is it will prevent you from acquiring a calloused heart towards others. A friendship with Jesus, it, 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 it helps us from acquiring this hard heart towards others when we are hurt. It takes the focus off of us as the center of our life and the center of our relationships and enables us to notice others and to love others and to serve others at great expense to ourselves sometimes. When friendship with others is the source of our identity and joy and sense of belonging, then you will go, you and I will go at great lengths to secure it. When you need people in your life to convince you that you're important and loved and that you have value, you will stop at nothing to get it. You will, use, you will leverage your looks. You'll leverage your accomplishments. You'll leverage your money and your success. You'll leverage your personality. You will use whatever you have at your expo- disposal to convince others that when they're your friends, they made a really good choice because you're a really great person. Look how, look, at, um, look how good I'm doing in business. I'm doing really good. And what we're saying is, please love me. Please like me because of this. Please want to be around me because this is valuable. Please see this value in me because I put so much of my confidence on this value. We use our looks. 
We use our accomplishments. We use our personality. Please, please see me as the funny guy. Please see me as the one who, who's even, please see me as the comforting woman that when you're hurting, I'm the one you go to. You know, when people are hurting, they always come to me. Wow. They're lucky they have me. We leverage that. How can I leverage that? We start running into every broken situation, not to really love people, but to, to never be abandoned by them. We use whatever we can to convince others that they don't have to be ashamed to be friends with us. We talk about our success at work. We share our success in life. When we, we're truly seeking to find, you know, it's, it's different. We're not truly seeking to find people to celebrate with, and that's, and that's different. Hey, I got a promotion that I want I've been praying for. And we're not looking for, when we're looking for people to celebrate with us, that's awesome. When we're looking for people to praise God with us for God's providence in our life, then we, say, then we can bring people in and say, you know, celebrate with those who celebrate. Mourn with those who mourn. But oftentimes we share of all those details in our life to remind people that they made a great choice at becoming our friends. But the gospel makes us a different kind of friend. It takes absolutely no effort whatsoever to discard someone who has hurt you, doesn't it? It's, is there anything easier to do? It's the easiest thing to do in the world that when someone stings you hard is to say, well, then I'm done move on. I'll move on. You move on. Something happens. Something's going to happen. That's the easiest thing to do. You could do that without even thinking about it. Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. All deserted me. So forget them. I think that's what he says. No. What does he say? May it not be charged against them. Stephen, a deacon and the first martyr in the Bible, had Jewish friends who he loved and who loved him back. And he teaches about Jesus. And they pick up stones to kill him. And they kill him. And right before he dies, his last words are, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. As Jesus hangs on the cross, and just before, a week before, as he ushers into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the whole town is praising him and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to God in the highest. You are awesome, Jesus. Now they are spitting at him on the cross, and they are stripping him of his clothes, and they are beating him and mocking him and throwing sticks and stones at him, literally. And he says what? Well, forget you guys, I'm going to heaven. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When your friends fail you, go to Jesus, get his grace, and go back to that friend who hurt you and forgive them. You can do that. I'm hurt. I'm in pain. And the easiest thing for me to do is say, forget you. You're dead to me. Get out of my life. And I'll have pleasure in seeing you hurt because now you don't have my, have my friendship. Go to Jesus. Get his grace that you need and go back to that friend and love them. And by doing so, you might turn a painful friend into a restored friend for the glory of God and your joy. Every single one of my best friends in my life who I trust with my very life were at one time painful friends. I'm sorry if you're my friend and you hear that. 
You can't do that, however, if your identity is in your ability to be liked by others and accepted by others. But when it is the love of Jesus, you can say, it's okay. It's okay. You have inflicted a a thousand wounds against me and I have inflicted 10,000 against you. It's okay. We both need the grace of God. And that's actually what friendship is. It's it's, It's someone saying, you too? Isn't that how a friendship is formed? You too? I love Star Trek too. You too? Oh, let's be friends. What is the U2 in the church? It's not Bono, okay? What is the U2 in the church? You're a failure too? And Jesus loves you in spite of that? Me too. Let's go to him together. And that's the final thing. A friendship with Jesus, the final point is a friendship with Jesus gives us the power to be a friend to others. A power. Ministry is relationally hard. Friends will forsake you and let you down and never come back, and some will come back, and you can receive them. Do you need, do you need your eyes to be open this morning, open to the reality of the pain that comes with relationships, and just admitting, yeah, relationships are hard. You're right. Relationships are hard. Do you need your eyes open to the reality of your own ability to be a painful friend? I mean, do you need to hear this morning that, wow, I think a lot about how people have hurt me, but I've done the same and probably worse. And that's true. Do you need to be your eyes open to the reality of God's calling you to be a good friend and open to the reality of Jesus' friendship with you, that he will never abandon you, that he will never forsake you, that he is your help, he is your comfort, and he is your strength, and that strength only comes through his grace, not your willpower, but his grace when you know that you're fully known by God and He fully loves you at the same time, you're only then free to open yourself up to the meaningful friendship with others. When you know that He knows everything about you and He still died for you, you can be freed up to love others who have inflicted far less pain than you have inflicted on God. Paul ends his letter, and let this sink in. He ends the letter in this way. His final letter, he's executed a shortly time after. This is the last letter that he would pen, the last sentence that he would write, the last word that he would want to sink in. And his final phrase that comes from his hand is, grace be with you. The beaten, the lonely, the tired apostle experienced God's amazing grace and it provided him with an unshakable joy and an unrelentless pursuit of God-centered, grace-focused friendship with others. Has it done that for you? We can rest in the grace of Jesus, remembering his perfect faithfulness and rely on his strength to do all that he has called us to do. Reformation Sunday. Tomorrow marks 499 years since the day that Martin Luther, a monk, a German monk, nails to the door of a cathedral his 95 thesis, really sparking a debate and conflict with the Catholic Church. And his life was hunted for it, and people tried to kill him on numerous occasions, and so he hid himself in this brick tower and he wrote a song that was called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We sang it a minute ago. You probably already forgot. Go back and listen to it. 
Here, Martin Luther is translating the Latin Bible into German. And he's feverishly doing this. And his people are trying to kill him as he is doing this. And he sings out, what help do I have? Everyone's abandoned me and deserted me. And he says, a mighty fortress is our God. He is my help in present trouble. He alone is my friend. And allow him to pour out his life. And it was all about the grace of God. The grace of God. Let that be the last word. The grace of God for you. Jesus died for sinners. He makes enemies his friends so that we could find our hope and identity in his friendship even when no one is with us. And it will be a fountain that overflows into great relationships with others. And we will have painful friends. We will have, we will have faithful friends. We will have restored friends. And all the while, Jesus never leaves us. Let's pray.